have a dream that all men are created story. I'm your host Ian Kath. This is episode 49. I've been a little bit busy in the last couple of weeks. I've dreamt up a bit of an idea of where I might be able to generate a little bit of income that might be able to support this podcast. It's important to have a bit of money and unfortunately I've spent a huge amount of money chasing this dream and maybe I've come up with a bit of a strategy but I'll let you know more about that as it evolves. I'm still a little bit unsure about it. I want to test the market, see if it's a viable idea and I'll let you know in due course how it goes. If that happens, it won't have any impact on your story. I'll still produce it as I am and uh, I'll just be able to eat to be able to continue doing the podcast. And the podcast is over at yourstorypodcast.com. The email, of course, is chat at yourstorypodcast.com. There's a Facebook fan page. You can Twitter me if you want. Send me some tweets. I'm uh, Ian Kath, all one word on Twitter. There's iTunes. I've got a couple of lovely comments over on iTunes. I really appreciate that. And it's incredible what that does for people finding the podcast because if they're searching around on iTunes, it, it sort of goes further up the rankings. I certainly do appreciate anyone who mentions your story on uh, iTunes. Music, of course, is from Iodo Promenet. Those wonderful people who supply the music they use in the background here. They have an amazing resource. Go and check them out. And if you like the music, consider buying it. It's wonderful for the artists. In today's show, I was having a couple of drinks with a few people recently and they turned around to me and they knew what I was up to with this podcast and they said, hey, you ought to talk to Gemma. She's got a little bit of a story. So I did. I sat down with her one day, we down by the river while we're having lunch and we just chatted about her photography and what that means to her and how she got into it and how she actually manages to make a living from it. She's got a few different streams that enable her to generate an income from her photography and I know there are a lot of people out there who want to be able to make money out of photography. Well, she's one of those people who's actually managed to pull it off. Some beautiful images and there are links over on the site, yourstorypodcast.com for you to go and have a look at what she's been up to. So... Here's Gemma's story. 10th of February 2010. Hello Gemma. Hi. Welcome to your story. And I'm interested to know your story because we met at a pub fairly recently and a few people said, hey, you ought to talk to Gemma. She's got some interesting stuff to say. So I went and climbed around on your site and I had a look at what you're up to and you seem to be doing a bit of photography and a bit of a photography exposition as in... A little bit interested to know about it, show us your tits. So give us some background first of all. Where do you, where do you come from and what's your background? I grew up in Moorlumbar, mm-hmm. um, northern New South Wales. Yes, I studied photography at school. I got my first camera for my 14th birthday. And I sort of, I think I probably started doing photography because all of the kids at school, you know, who were naughty, um, did photography. I guess it was a bit of a cool subject, but ended up sort of falling in love with it, I guess, along the way. And So it was an excuse to have a lifestyle rather than a true passion for photography, and that came well, later. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the initial enrolment. I mean, I, I think like most kids, I was sort of thought, oh, well, photography's pretty cool. And then by the time I'd finished school, I sort of had my own key to the dark room and used to go in there on weekends to print and develop. and um, Colour in black and white? 
No, no, at my school it's only black and white. So I did black and white photography for the first however many years. What was the first thing that grabbed your attention about photography and why you liked it so much? Just the different ways that people approach photography. I really liked seeing that kind of experimentation, visual experimentation. But, you know, sort of as I progressed through schooling, I sort of started to document the town that I lived in and did some fairly, I guess, art-based, you know, which I stitched to to material that I'd tie-dyed, which is not something that I've necessarily stuck with. I've tended towards documentary photography. but So I think photography allowed me to express that creativity without necessarily having the motor skills to do anything except press a button and change a shutter. So You went on to uni. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, by the time I got to studying photography, I'd done a year of journalism and dropped out. So it's sort of a bit of a wasted year, um, except for the fact that I'd kind of gone down the word path and I do love writing and I do love words but I'd gone down that path because I thought photography was quite impractical and that I would never be able to sustain a career in photography and writing was probably much more practical application but realized after a year that there was just it just wasn't my thing journalism wasn't my thing I do love writing well I've heard it said that if you want to be a writer and you want to stifle it the best thing you can do is go and study journalism yeah well (laughs) I think actually what it was with journalism that put me off is the, the sort of threat of having to do death knocks and actually as a working photojournalist that's something that I ended up doing and they're horrendous. So What's a death knock? A death knock is where you, when someone's lost a loved one, you rock up to their house and interview them and immediately after it's happened. And how does it feel to have your kid abducted and murdered, that sort of stuff? Kind of. I mean, it's Well, look, I worked for a couple of years at a regional newspaper and, and in regional a regional community it's you can't put people off like that so you have to tread a little more carefully I mean in Brisbane you rock up at someone's house and you're rude to them and you put the hard questions on them like that and it's sort of okay but well I mean it's not morally it's not but you know you're not going to run into that person yeah. at the shopping center so in a regional community I guess it's more about allowing them an avenue to speak about the person that they've lost. And, and, and often, actually, people who've lost loved ones really appreciate the opportunity for the whole community to know about just how special that particular person was. And, so you yeah. that was the journalism side? but you can't So that was the journalism, yeah. So then when I finished a year of journalism, decided it wasn't for me, then enrolled, applied to study photography at QCA and got in, which was fabulous. And so I was a bit older by then. I was 22 by the time I started. Really loved it. And I think because I loved it so much, I took advantage of a lot of the opportunities that the uni had to offer. Ended up um, working as the editor of the Australian Photojournalist, which is a magazine collated by QCA students, photojournalism students, and it's, you know, it's a fabulous magazine. Its um, aim is to showcase work that mainstream media has no place for. And ended up travelling to Vietnam a couple of times with Tim Page, who's an adjunct professor at the university, but also a world-renowned, I mean, he covered the Vietnam War and he was very renowned for doing that. His movie, um, Apocalypse Now, and the character, photographer character played by Dennis Hopper in the movie is based on Tim Page. Oh, okay. So. And he's fabulous. He's, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, Yeah, I did well at uni, but it's because I was old enough to recognise and take advantage of opportunities, I think. You think there's an advantage in being that little bit older? Yeah, absolutely. And, and lots of the kids who started, you know, straight out of school with me never finished. I mean, of course some did, but... It's often the case, isn't it? You need a bit yeah. of maturity before you know what you want to do. Well, you just need to do stuff that you don't want to do for a bit and realise... You don't want to do it. You don't want to do so it. So what do I want to do? And I always wanted to do photography. It was always my thing, so... 
Um, I did my honours degree there as well, so I ended up doing four years there and I got a first class honours degree um, and an award for academic excellence, which, I mean... Does that, like a lot of art degrees, they're often um, basically a, a degree in nothing practical in the real world. Mm. Is there an element Photography, of that? Or? Well, I mean, I personally think it's incredibly practical. Um, and I went straight from there, like I, I literally handed in my thesis and five days later I was we've, working as We've a, got magpies and other birds all around us <laughs> chiming in. Um, five days later I was working as a um, photojournalist at the Northern Star, which is the regional newspaper I was at for two years and um, finished my project body of work while I was working full-time. I mean, I think work, when you work full-time for the first time in your profession, it's always a steep learning curve. I actually found that QCA really did prepare me in a lot of ways for the real world. But I think probably the main area, or the, the way in which it prepared me best for the real world, is to really establish my moral and ethical boundaries when it came to photography and its role particularly when we photograph people and, and that's your job, work always gives you practical application. What about the art side of it, the actual exhibition and production mm. of art? Is that a big part of your life? I really struggle calling myself an artist, uh, although I am, um, and I, I don't think that's a, you know, I think that's a fairly obvious statement of fact. I mean, I exhibit regularly and I, I, I exhibit as a photographer, but it's, you know, it's a funny crossover calling yourself an artist. Do you sell your art? Do you sell your, yes, your photos? I guess I do. Yeah, so I, I mean, you know, that's what I mean. It's an undeniable statement of fact that I am an artist, but it's not how I introduce myself. You think of yourself more as a photojournalist, do you? A, docu a documentary photographer, I guess, but it's, I mean, it's, I haven't actually come up with an adequate moniker for, to introduce myself. Okay. So. Do you make a living out of it? Yes. Out of photojournalism or out of gallery type stuff? Well, I also am a lecturer, so I lecture and tutor photography at um, okay. various universities. Within the field, that's, I mean, it's sort of hard to come up with a, a single moniker when I actually have a fairly diverse palette of experience. Is it necessary to have multiple forms of employment in order to make money out of photography? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I have friends who work as freelance photographers and that's what they do. They photograph for, um, you know, magazines and I have friends who work for newspapers and that's that's their job. I think most photographers also photograph in their spare time, but that's because we're all a bit compulsive. And For me, yeah, it is because I don't want to fit into that role. I don't want to photograph for newspapers anymore. And I love teaching, but I'd go sort of a bit spare if I didn't have my own photographic projects to sustain me. So I don't make any money out of my own photographic projects, but... Um, they're the thing that I invest most of my time and energy into. So I think I accepted a long time ago I was never going to be wealthy. Um, right. But I have a very interesting life. So, What sort of equipment do you have? Like, do you have a, um, a huge, big SLR with $20,000 worth of lenses? Um, well, yeah, I have a fair bit of equipment. I actually sort of streamlined. I've sort of got rid of a lot of stuff that was a bit unnecessary. But I have three main lenses that I use. So they range from 24 mils through to... Uh, 200 mils. I find generally, because I'm not shooting new stuff anymore and I don't really need to have gear that, to shoot sport with, I find that the smaller my gear, the less intimidating it is to people. Do you also carry a uh, point and shoot in your back pocket? No. Not at all? Mm. Okay. All digital? Yes. Though I do have a very superb collection of old vintage film, film. cameras. Yeah. And if you had to choose between film or digital, 
Uh, you know, like, but well, on, on pain of death, you have to choose your favourite. Well, to be honest, film annoys me a bit. Um, you've got to store it and you've got to process it. It's slow, you know, and with digital, I can shoot it. The quality is just getting better all the time. I can shoot it. I've got it immediately. I can do whatever I want with it. I don't have to print it out, so I don't have to have stacks of prints. And do you still shoot a bit of film from time to time? No, I made the horrific mistake I went to China, end of 2006, and made the mistake of taking only a film camera, and I shot about 70 rolls of film. And, and though they are developed, they are sitting unlooked at. I haven't even I just developed the films. I didn't develop the photos. And they're sitting unlooked at in uh, my unloved. room. Unloved, unloved. Unloved. At some point I'll get a film scanner and scan them. Though interestingly I'm about to run a project in Melbourne and I will use film for that but it's a teaching project and the reason behind using film is that students most often and this is oh, no disrespect to students but most often will delete their best work um, and it's just because students have a different aesthetic to my aesthetic so where I'm looking for images that maybe tell a story they're looking for images that look pretty. Of course, want images to look good, but a photograph tells a story in a better way. That's the image that I'm looking for. The photo of their parents sitting next to each other in similar poses, enjoying their morning cup of tea, says far more to me than a, you know, it might not be as aesthetically pleasing, but it might, says far more to me than a photo of a pretty flower. So, mm. And if the light's not quite right, the story is still told. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, like, and that's the ultimate goal, I think, of documentary photography or photojournalism is to marry up that aesthetic appeal with images that have meaning. Most often, and, and you know, I did it when I was a student, it's sort of, it's a skill that you have to learn how to edit well and choose the photos that tells the story the best. So that's why I'm using film cameras so that they can't delete their work. When I dropped in on your site and mm. saw all those images mm. for Show Us Your Tits, mm -hmm. Tell us about that project. Show Us Your Tits grew out of a project that I did in my third year of uni called Bird Watching. I guess it, what it looked, it was sort of a, a look at what women do when women are together, you know, and so I photographed things like births and beauty pageants and a whole range of different things as women interacting. And I noticed that they talked about their bodies a lot and, and breasts, I guess, are the most obvious signifier of, of gender. So I sort of started to investigate what roles breasts played in women's lives ended up photographing, well, I'm still photographing it, it's an ongoing project, but photograph things, a 60-year-old woman who'd had a mastectomy. And a that is the one photo that I found start, stood out for me. I found that an extraordinary image because she's not young and she's got one breast missing and it looks spectacular. Yeah, Joycelyn was amazing and she was so pragmatic about it. And, and, and I mean, I guess that's like, you know, symbolic of the whole series is it's the antithesis of what we actually see in media. We don't see women who've had mastectomies and we don't certainly don't see older women naked. And, you know, I guess the series is aimed, you know, I guess it's, although it's sort of quite funny and show she tits the title encompasses that sense of humour because I believe that um, messages are often best served with a slice of humour. Definitely. It really encompasses that point um, that I'm making with the series that bodies are different and you know that they're beautiful no matter if they are six you know without being too esoteric. The statement is that women are beautiful it's just that in media we only see such a small representation of what women look like and so it's targeted at women I think show women that you know breasts as a signifier of, of the body are different for everyone and a different role and function but also I think it's aimed at men as well because men don't get to see that broad range in media so. definitely not definitely not we mm. know our partners depending on how many we have mm. 
and we know what the media gives us. Mm. And other mm. than that, we don't see all the eccentric mm. side of the female body. Yeah, uh, whereas well, a lot of women live with it. I might hesitate at the word eccentric. Because well, I'm, I'm using the word eccentric as in it's away from centre. It's yes. you know, away from the norm. Yes. But what are you looking forward to? I guess I'm excited because I feel like for the first time in a long time I'm directing my future. What I'm doing is working for six months with a non-profit organisation called St Kilda Gatehouse. It's a refuge drop-in centre counselling support service for street sex workers and people with life controlling addictions in St Kilda in Melbourne to get them to use photography and visual language to break down some of the stereotypes that surround them. So it enables them to use their own voice to uh, express what it's like to live their lives. Um, and during the course of running those workshops, I will also be interviewing them and photographing them. It's very similar to Show Us Your Tits, I guess, in that, you know, there'll be that collaboration there. How long is this going to take? Six months. Interesting, six months ahead. Yeah, it's, look, you know, and I have my moments of total panic because there's so many variables. Are the sex workers going to want to be involved? Like, am I going to be able to teach them? How long do I conduct classes? So, you know, that's, I guess, the learning curve, is learning to deal with the marginalised group. So the next little phase is off to Melbourne off to do to this. Melbourne, yeah. To do this, yeah. So what's your website address if people want to go and see what you're doing? GemmaRose.com.au, and Gemma is spelled with a G. And the blog will be updating your experiences in Melbourne? Yeah, absolutely. I'll link back across to it while we've got all these birds chirping away in the background. Mm. I just want to say thanks very much for coming on the show, Jim. It's a pleasure. Lovely to chat with you and lovely to meet you. Thank you. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye. Bye. million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them.